So, do you believe in Easter? Stanley, poor guy, he downloaded the wrong sermon from the internet. He messed up on the holiday. I wonder if he can get his money back. Not an accident. I was reading a story this week about a woman from San Antonio, Texas named Edith Burns. Edith was sitting in the lobby of the doctor's office. She had her Bible in her hand. She was talking to a young mom that was sitting next to her, and she said to her, Hello, my name's Edith Burns. Do you believe in Easter? Now, this was a a normal thing for Edith. She was known for asking people that question. She would ask people in the doctor's office. She would ask the nurses. She would ask the doctors. She would ask people here and there. She would ask people anywhere, do you believe in Easter? One day she was at this doctor's office, and she was getting her blood pressure checked, and and the nurse that was checking her blood pressure, her name was Beverly, and and Edith said, hello, my name is Edith Burns. Do you believe believe in Easter? And Beverly said, well, yes, I do. And Edith said, well, what do you believe about Easter? She goes, oh, you know, it's all about the Easter eggs and the egg hunt and, you know, dressing up and going to church, you know, doing all those fun things. So as Edith often did after she asked the question about Easter, as she went on to tell a little bit about the amazing truths surrounding the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Beverly heard those things that day, and God quickened her heart, and her heart was captured by the gospel, and she came to saving faith in Jesus. Beverly was not the only person that had that experience with Edith, and there were a number of others who came to faith in Christ through Edith's question about Easter. One day, she was back in the back with her doctor, Will Phillips, and Will had a discouraged look on, her, on his face. And this is what Edith said to him. Dr. Will, why are you so sad? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? To which Will said, Edith, I am the doctor. I ask the questions. You are the patient. Edith was known for looking past the medical and trying to see to the eternal. What she was doing is she was taking the spirit of a holiday and she was using it to try to bring some hope to a soul. So, hello, my name is Dow Welsh. Do you believe in Christmas? Not just the Christmas that has the Gimbel's gift cards underneath the tree. You know, not, not the Christmas that has the, you know, red sweater with the mayor of Whoville stitched on the front of it. Not just the Christmas that has the French vanilla, salted caramel, apple cider, white chocolate, pumpkin spice, eggnog. Not, not that Christmas. But the Christmas that was bringing happiness long before this coming Tuesday. The Christmas that was bringing the thrill of hope long before there was the magic of Black Friday. The Christmas that over and over again for decades and centuries has been giving gifts long before the rebranding of St. Nicholas. 
the Christmas that was pursuing you with glad tidings of great joy before you were even born. The Christmas that was pursuing the earth with peace before the earth even existed. Do you believe in that Christmas? About 3,000 years ago, about 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the true message of Christmas came to a group of people whose government had been shut down. They were discouraged and they were sad. They were frustrated and they were mad. They were more than just a tad bit confused. And in the middle of all of that, in the middle of everything kind of going wrong, something amazing happened. What happened? Let's see if we can find out. Isaiah 52, verse 7. The word of the Lord to the prophet Isaiah. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Isaiah's foretelling about a time that was not going to be festive. It was a time when the government was going to be shut down. A time when they were going to be deported from their own country. A time when they were going to be prisoners in a foreign land. The people of God were were not going to have a holly jolly Christmas. They were not going to be festive. They were not going to be decking the halls. It was going to be a, a hard time. What kind of Christmas are you having so far this year? Is it festive, or are you struggling some? Are you in need of some good news from over the mountain? The ancient scene here is intriguing. The the people were going to be cast out of their homeland, and and it's almost like they were going to be put in this, you know, border town down in a valley. And towns back then would often have watchtowers and and watchmen, and they would be looking to see what was coming over the mountain and and share the news with the rest of the town. They'd be looking to see what was coming their way. Sometimes what was coming their way were were messengers. Somebody's even said that that these messengers, in in coming to bring the news of what was happening, they, they were designated messengers. They were on the other side of the mountain, extended out, but, but sometimes they had designated people. Imagine a, a town had two messengers, and one was Stan and, and one was Oliver. And Stan, he was the good news messenger. So when he came over the mountain and the watchmen in the tower saw Stan coming, they're like, man, good stuff is coming. Good news. Come on, Stan. But Ollie, Ollie was the bad news messenger. And when they saw Ollie coming over the top of the mountain, they knew that a bad moon was rising and they should tell everybody, man, things are not looking good. And if it wasn't a designated messenger, sometimes it was some designation with the messenger. You know, if it was good news, maybe they were wearing a a tie-dye robe, you know, and, and they had a huge, you know, blue flag that they were waving. And if it was bad news, maybe Stan or Ollie came over the mountain and they were wearing a a black robe and and maybe waving a, a flag with the skull and crossbones on it, you know. Some type of designation, something that when the watchmen saw them come over the mountain, they knew there was a message coming. They knew there was news to share. Isaiah is writing about a day when Stan was coming over the mountain with his tie-dye robe and his big blue flag. I mean, there was good news coming. There was good news of great joy just for them. 
There's a lot of now and laters in the Old Testament. There's promises for right then and there's promises for later, a now and later. This is a now and later moment. It, it has fulfillment later that we'll see in the person of Jesus, but in the, the now there was some fulfillment. And the good news for now was that the Babylonians eventually were going to be defeated and the Jewish people were going to be allowed after decades and decades to, in a sense, go home for Christmas. Albert Barnes writes this, The beholder is supposed to be standing amidst the ruins of the desolated city, and the messenger is seen running on the distant hills. The long-anticipated herald announcing that these ruins are to rise at length appears. Seen on the distant hills, running rapidly, he is a beautiful object. It is his feet, his running, his haste that attracts attention, an indication that he bears a message of joy and that the nation is about to be restored. Beauty coming over the mountain. You know, when life is discouraging or difficult or downright depressing, boy, we long for beauty. I mean, really, that's, that's why so many people enjoy Christmas time, right? They, they enjoy the, the beauty, the, the sights and the sounds and the gifts of Christmas. It, it brings beauty into the world. And when you're sitting in the, in the middle of your depression, when you're sitting in the middle of the, the broken pieces of a relationship, the broken pieces of a situation, you want some beauty to come in and cover over the brokenness. And when you're sitting in the middle of that depression, when you're sitting in the middle of a cloud of of death, you want some beauty to come in and break through and bring some light into the darkness. These folks for decades, they've been sitting in the middle of brokenness, in the the middle of darkness. And Isaiah is saying, hey, a day is coming when Stan's coming over the mountain." And he's going to have beautiful news of great joy for all the people. And it was going to bring light into their darkness. Now, what made this news so good and and so great and so beautiful? Listen to the next thing Isaiah says in verse 7. Who announces peace and brings good news of happiness. Who announces salvation. The messenger was going to be bringing three pieces of news. There was going to be peace, there was going to be happiness, and there was going to be salvation. I mean, gross. Who wants any of that, right? I mean, this, is, this is fantastic news. This is, this is great stuff. Just a moment ago, the, the choir sang the words that Longfellow wrote years ago. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. The people of God, they lived in the terror of those words. There seemed to be absolutely no peace in their lives, no happiness in their lives. Ever had a day like that? Having a day like that today? Having a week like that? Having a month like that? Has it been that? a year like that, where it's just been hard to find peace, where it's been hard to find happiness, where it seems like it's not there. Feeling no peace on earth doesn't mean that we can't have peace on earth, but there's only one way we can get peace on earth. C.S. Lewis said this, 
God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. It's, it's not there. It's, it's how we were designed. We were designed to find our peace in God. It's, it's how you were created. It's how the world exists to find peace in God and God alone. And even in the middle of their hardship, in the middle of their difficulty, in the middle of everything going wrong, in the middle of them feeling like they had no peace and no happiness on earth, there was never a moment that the people of God could not have peace in the one who spoke the world into existence, in the one who rescued them from slavery, in the one who would never leave them, never forsake them, and never fail them. Now, someone might ask, well, seems like having your nation defeated in battle and then losing your home and then being forced into captivity in a foreign land could just be me, but that sounds like God left them, he failed them, and he was forsaking them. Remember, though, about 800 years before this, the great, 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 great grandparents, I had to count it off, of these folks, they were not a people. Like their ancestors were considered nothing more than, than work animals. They were, they were slaves. This is what Deuteronomy says. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. They they were not a people. They were slaves. They were animals to their owners. And God and, and all the peoples of the earth, he chose those people, those Hebrew slaves. Verse 7, the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. Verse 8, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. See, God made a promise, and he was fulfilling that promise. And so without the sovereign intervening love of God, the people would never have even been a people. But see, these people, even though they're in captivity, even though they're longing for some good news from Isaiah, they had a history. They used to not be a people, but now they're a people with history. And what is their history? Well, their history was they got peace when they had no hope of getting peace. Their history was they got happiness when they had no hope of getting happiness. Their history was they got salvation when they had no hope of getting salvation. They were not a people. Then they became a people because of the love and the grace and the mercy of God. 800 years later, when it felt like God had failed them and forsaken them, nothing had changed about the promise of God. He was still with them. He was still for them. 
when you have moments in life when you feel like that you have no peace and no happiness on earth, when you feel like God has forsaken you, that's the moment that what we do is we do the hard, joyful work of remembering what it means to be a child of God. In other words, we do the hard, joyful work at looking at what God has already done. We look at the handiwork of God. Vanitha Risner has a powerful testimony. I just want to share a few thoughts from her about feeling forsaken by God. She writes, I have felt forsaken, abandoned, betrayed by those I loved. I have questioned where God was in my pain, and I have wondered what good could ever come from my suffering. What kind of suffering had she experienced? She goes on. Sobbing by my son's tiny casket was devastating. Receiving the divorce papers in the mail was beyond heartbreaking. Hearing the doctor say that my body was deteriorating and then watching it happen was agonizing. None of those trials felt redemptive. None of them could be celebrated. None of them even made sense. I never could have imagined that God would bring something beautiful out of my pain. I felt that my pain was deforming me, that I would forever be marred by it. I was sure my best years were behind me before this happened. When I laughed easily and often, when I wasn't burdened with the memories of all that had gone before. And yet somehow, even in those horrifying trials, God was doing something, something extraordinary, something I could have not planned or foreseen. He was doing something in me that could not have happened any other way. It was strange and beautiful, wonderful and unexpected, the handiwork of God. Out of the most crushing pain and terrible despair, God was bringing glorious triumph. Instead of deforming me, my pain strangely deepened me. It increased my capacity for God and for joy. It made me see the world through different eyes, eyes of faith and not eyes of hopelessness. It helped me recognize that what I was going through was just a snapshot in time. And that one day, my life will be totally transformed. I may have a lot of moments where I don't feel any peace on earth. Let me just go ahead and say, I've already had a lot of moments where I didn't feel peace on earth. A lot of moments when I don't feel happiness. But I have the promise of God that he's always doing something beautiful in my life. Even if that something beautiful is my current hope and my future peace that will only come when I am no longer on this earth. And what am I basing that promise on? Well, I'm basing it on the announcement. What announcement is that? Well, one night out in the pitch black dark in a field, the sky lit up. And some shepherds were out there with their sheep, and and they saw the bright feet of some angels. They saw their tie-dyed robes, and they heard them give a message. And what was the message? Luke 2, 10 and 11. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. 
For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This had to be the most terrifying moment of their lives. I mean, if I'm one of those shepherds and I'm out in the field, I'm thinking, this is the end of the world as I know it. This this is done. This is getting ready to happen right now. And yet the angel says, hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because we have a message for you. We have an announcement for you. It's an announcement that's going to bring peace to you. It's going to bring peace to the earth. It's even going to bring peace even beyond the earth. And what was that announcement? Was the announcement was, the angel said, that a great politician was born to start the government back up and get everything back to like it was in the good old days. That was the announcement from the angels, right? (laughs) No. The announcements from the angels was this, a Savior has been born. Someone greater than a president, greater than a king, greater than a queen, greater than a general, greater than a pastor, greater than a parent, greater than a grandparent, greater than an athlete, greater than an entertainer, a Savior has born. The Savior has been born, the one and only Savior who can save you from your sins who can rescue you from the fear of death and even rescue you from death itself. No one else can do that. No one else gets that announcement. Only Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can rescue men and women and boys and girls from the fear of death and from death itself. You see, only salvation in Jesus brings peace on earth. Because only salvation in Jesus has the guarantee that one day the something beautiful is that your life will be completely transformed. Salvation through Jesus Christ is the only way to find peace on earth because it's only salvation in Jesus that guarantees that a person will be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and be transferred there forever. That's something beautiful. That's something amazing. I've shared these thoughts before. They seem to always ring true at Christmas. Jeff Thomas said this. We in the church today have no wealth, no social prestige, no place in the sun, no music program, no techniques, which will solve all the phobias and neuroses of men and women while leaving their hearts unregenerate and in a state of alienation from God. Christmas is a time where people feel alienated, but sometimes they don't understand that the worst alienation is to be alienated from God. Jeff Thomas goes on, we can only offer to men and women Jesus Christ the Savior, and if they don't want Him, there is no alternative agenda. We can only offer the forgiveness of sins, the love of God, the indwelling power of God, and the hope of everlasting life. But that's, that's our message. We have nothing else to offer. We only have Jesus to offer. The good news about Jesus is the only news we have to offer. The good news about Jesus is the only news that can eternally and deeply reach a Jewish prisoner in 711 B.C. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the beauty of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ is the only message 
that can reach a religious zealot in 35 A.D., the only message that can reach a pagan thief in 386 A.D., the only message that can reach a a Catholic monk in the 1500s, the only message that can reach a teenage girl in Virginia in the 1850s, the only message that can reach a teenage boy in North Carolina in the 1930s, the only message that can reach a teenage boy in the 1980s in North Augusta. The only message that can reach some of you who are listening to my voice, the only message that can reach a billion times billions of people all over the globe, it is only the message of Jesus that we have to offer because it's only the message of Jesus that brings peace. There is no other message. And all of those billions of people You know how they got the message? They got the message through beautiful feet. Beautiful feet that came running to them in RAs at First Baptist Church in North Augusta. Beautiful feet that came running to them through the desert in the Middle East. And you know what happens to people when beautiful feet bring the message of salvation from Jesus to them? You know what happens with those people? the exact same thing that happens and that we see in the life of the shepherds. Those people become the next round of beautiful feet. They become the the next round of people that that take this beautiful message to their family and they take it home and they take it to work and they take it to school and they take it to church. They take it out in the community and they take it to Guatemala and they take it to Belgium and they take it to Morocco and they take it to Baghdad and they take it to the uttermost parts of the earth. Let me ask you a question. If you are a believer, how beautiful are your feet? Is the message, this glorious grand message of the gospel, is is it getting through you into the lives of other people? Are you bringing good and beautiful and great news of great joy into the world? Remember how Edith Burns thought Dr. Phillips looked discouraged when she was in his office that day? Well, the reason he looked discouraged is because he was discouraged. He had just got some test results back on Edith, and and he found out that she had some aggressive cancer, and he told her she wasn't going to live very long. This is what Edith said back to him. Why, Will Phillips, shame on you. Why are you so sad? Do you think God makes mistakes? You have just told me I'm going to see my precious Lord Jesus, my husband and my friends. You have just told me that I'm going to celebrate Easter forever and here you are having difficulty giving me my ticket. (laughs) Christmas holidays came not long after that visit at the doctor that day. Dr. Phillips' office was closed through January 3rd. Edith had an appointment on January 4th, but she didn't show up for her appointment. She called Dr. Phillips and said, hey, I'm I'm at the hospital, um, and it looks like I'm I'm not going to be leaving here. And so this is what she said. Will, I'm very near home, so would you make sure that they put women in here next to me in my room who need to know about Easter? 
Her reputation in the hospital grew so much to the point that they started calling her Edith Easter. That became her nickname. One of the nurses up on the hall was a lady named Phyllis Cross. She was actually the the head nurse on the hall. And she made it clear to everyone that she didn't want to have anything to do with Edith. She thought Edith was a religious nut. She had worked in an army hospital for years. She had seen some rough, tough things. Her military experiences, her three failed marriages had left her with an attitude that was cold and hard, and she didn't want anything to do with Edith. One morning, she had to go in there to give Edith a shot, and Edith said, God loves you, and I love you, and I have been praying for you. And Phyllis said, well, you can quit praying for me. It won't work. I'm not interested. Edith responded, well, I will pray, and I have asked God not to let me go home until you come into the family. Phyllis said, then I guess you're never going to die because that will never happen. Every time Edith saw Phyllis, she would say, God loves you, Phyllis, and I love you, and I'm praying for you. One day, Phyllis walked in there, and she said, Edith, you know, you ask every single person that comes down this hall if they believe in Easter, but you know you've never asked me. Edith said, well, Phyllis, I wanted to many times, but God told me to wait until you asked. And now that you've asked... And then she proceeded to tell Phyllis the amazing truths surrounding the birth and the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus captured Phyllis's heart. God quickened her, and she came to faith in Jesus that day. As the story goes, four days later was Easter Sunday. Phyllis walked into Edith's room, and when she walked in, she immediately noticed that she looked different. She went over and and confirmed what she thought, and that was that Edith had gone home to be with Jesus. And Phyllis said, Happy Easter, Edith. Happy Easter. She made a few arrangements and Then she walked out of the room and she walked over to a table where there were two student nurses. And she sat down and she said, hello, my name is Phyllis Cross. Do you believe in Easter? She had become the next round of beautiful feet. Do you believe in Christmas? If so, if you believe in in the true Christmas, the one connected to Jesus, then you have good news of great joy. Your heart has been captured with the beautiful gospel of Jesus. So this Christmas, and really all year long, and all the days we have left, may we be people that continue to be beautiful feet taking the beautiful message of our beautiful Savior to the world.